everyone. Welcome back to The Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Sam. Wonderful to be with you as we get to get back into the Book of Romans. Uh, we had a few weeks away there and Sunday, this last gone, was the first time getting back into it. Sam, how did yeah. you find Sunday getting into this what part of the, the scriptures? cracking part of the Bible, Jack. I, mm. loved, I, I loved preparing and preaching this passage. Um, I felt like it was just so rich and so clear it, it, there's some complexity to it there's some mm. some lots of old testament quotes but at the heart of it is just a beautiful gospel um truth that um faith in christ alone is the, is the only way to be right with god mm. yeah what about yourself yeah i mean similarly just these are words that are particularly verse nine there that if you can if you declare with your sorry i keep getting stumbled the old NIV confess with your mouth so that's mm. the bit that i've memorized but you know then anyway <laughs> if you declare with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved yeah what a beautiful wonderful promise totally. at the same time i up until like last week basically i've always found this part of romans quite mystifying i have felt the complexity here and there's been times before i've read this and felt like yeah i don't really understand particularly how this fits into the whole argument of romans and there have been times where I thought, man, I really hope I don't have to preach this because I just don't get it. So last week, sort of facing up to it and having to actually sit down and wrestle with the Word, just so good for, for my mind and soul. And I feel like I got to the point where, yeah, I think I think I feel like I get a little bit more now, and that's that's great. Yeah, Fantastic. God has illumined my mind by His Spirit, and I hope that He's done that for many of you on Sunday as we preached it too. Awesome. Lots of questions that have come in. Uh, we're going to get into a few of those now. Yeah, okay. Well, we've got a few here. A um, c- couple of kind of light, lighter ones to get us going, Jack. Um, someone said here, uh, Hello, when did you realize they were pumpkins and not what you intended to plant? Yeah, Sam, you probably have no idea what, what well, I'm tell, talking tell about. Tell all about the pumpkins, because I didn't get to hear you preach on Sunday. <laughs> that's right, I didn't hear you either. So, that's a mystery. Yeah, so, I mean, my, this is my opening illustration, and uh, we had a little uh, time a few months ago as a family. We, we planted a, a veggie garden recently. And I was talking a bit about how I was just so zealously, passionately pouring energy, like putting this garden together, filling it with dirt. Okay. And then uh, I lacked this crucial piece of information, which is when you make your compost, you got to get it hot enough so that the seeds die. Because oh. our compost is just full of pumpkin seeds. Oh, and they, they love to go. Oh, so our veggie patch now is just 100% pumpkin. It's, <laughs> it's just pumpkins all the way down. So That's great. That was my zeal without knowledge. No. Yeah, yeah okay, I see, I see. Um, yep. When did I realize they were pumpkins? Mm. Uh, like... About a week after we kind of got it all together, like just these shoots started popping up everywhere, and I was like, "Oh, this is way more than the seeds we planted." And I just googled, "Yeah, um, what kind of seeds survive in compost?" And pumpkins is like the number one, yeah. so that's <laughs> when I knew. Yeah, done. Oh, there you go. And then someone's also asked Jack, uh, "What's wrong with having an inflatable pink flamingo ride on the pool?" Tell <laughs> about this. I mean, isn't like what? What do you imagine must have been in the sermon? It sounds like, like a great <laughs> piece of preaching. Uh, um, uh, I was illustrating. Um, uh, Romans 10 verse 4, Christ is the end of the law. I picked up the, the ESV translation there. And this was my yeah, illustration okay. of the other kind of end. Because I don't think Paul's saying that's like the finishing, like the law is over. I think it's the, the end kind of goal. And, you know, to give an example of how we use the word that way, you know, if you told me you'd bought a giant inflatable flamingo, yes. I would, I think, justly ask you to what end? Like, uh, for what purpose? Like, what were you thinking? Well, yeah, yeah, gotcha. and yeah, yeah, just yeah. want to say, if you're out there and you have bought an inflatable pink flamingo, like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, all things are good if created by God and received with Thanksgiving. But I, gotcha. I, picked, I picked that as the image because it was for a while. It was like the it was the afterpay ad had like yeah, this guy riding okay. a pink flamingo, and for me, it's the symbol of just impulsive, thoughtless. <laughs> I don't care what I do with my money. I, you know, just gonna 
throw it to the wind and do something absolutely meaningless. Like that's that's the symbol of what it there is for me. But yeah, you there could you, you could justly use your pink flamingo to the glory of God. I am sure. So I've, I've just pocketed two sermon illustrations. Jack, thank you. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Um, <laughs> someone's asked one for you as well, Sam. Sam, someone said, do you think Hamilton or I'm gonna say this name might be Verstappen. That's it. Will win the world championship. Look, Is I, that an F1 thing? And it has nothing to do with Romans. So, <laughs> right, look, okay. a, 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 obviously a fellow believer in my other faith, a true a believer. Formula One. Um, yeah. uh, look, I won't spend too much time on this. I hope that Verstappen will do it. I'm, I'm keen for it. Two weeks, we'll, we'll know in a fortnight. Let's there see. you go. Yeah. All right. Let's get into what Romans is actually talking about. That's, yeah, that's a good place to start, but let's, let's get into it. Okay, uh, so we've got uh, a few, just to kind of clarify our work on, uh, like, in the text here. Uh, somebody asked Jack, uh, verse 33 of chapter 9, and it'd be really helpful if you're listening along, you've got your Bible open, that'd be, that'd be helpful. Um, does verse 33 suggest that God actively causes people to stumble because he lays down the stumbling stone? And that's, that's 33 says, See, I, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall? Yeah, good question. I think the answers are clear, yes. I think that God actively causes people to stumble. And that's, mm. I mean, that's something that we've seen a little in this section of Romans. We're going to see it again in a big way this coming Sunday as we think about God's hardening of people. And this is, I mean, more broadly, this is just a common thing we see through the New Testament. Like I think mm. of Jesus, he, he talks about why he speaks in parables in Mark chapter 4 and he talks about, you know, uh, quoting Isaiah as well. He does that so that people will be overhearing but never understanding. Yeah. Uh, part of God's work is not just revealing things so that we would know him, but he also uh, acts in such a way that some people will, will be hardened and will stumble and will, will, will refuse to believe him. And that's, mm. that's part of the, the mystery of how God works, I think. Yeah. You want to say anything else? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I think I'd say, yeah, God, God does cause people to stumble. I mean, we're going to get there in... Um, Chapter 11, we're going to yeah. say that God hands people over to disobedience so that he can have mercy on them. Um, mm. And I think that's there's a correlation with, with that idea here that God actually does um, cause people to trip over, particularly when it comes to th- them thinking that they could be righteous enough. Um, yeah. Jesus is a stumbling stone on that front that says, no, you're mm. not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a quick answer that raises more questions, but those more questions will, will come into this coming Sunday as well. So mm. stay tuned for that. Yeah. We'll keep going. Another question on the stone. Someone's asked, how can God be a stumbling stone while Christ is a cornerstone? Mm. Is there any correlation between the stone metaphors? Yeah, um, absolutely. Great. And great pickup. Um, And uh, yeah, it's interesting. Here in verse 33, um, Paul actually brings together two different um, quotes from Isaiah, one from Isaiah 28 and one from Isaiah 8. And in in Isaiah 8, the stone is the Lord, God God himself. Whereas in in Isaiah 28, the stone that God lays down is, is something other than himself, and it, it, it appears to be a reference, to, I think, to Jesus. Mm. Um, 1 Peter 2 is also worth checking out, because um, Peter picks up on this same image of, of stone, um, and I think uh, there's actually two purposes to the stone. So, yeah. And you can see how, uh, on the one hand, the stone is something that people trip over, but on the other hand, it's also a safe place where you can find refuge um, and you, if you put your trust in it, you'll never be put to shame. And so I think in that sense, um, yeah, um, Christ, that, that's the cornerstone image, isn't yeah. it? That the sort of safe uh, place, but also the, the first brick down in, in the building um, that, that shapes the, the rest of the building. That's the cornerstone image. So yeah, nice. um, it's, a, it's a, I guess, a rich image that we're working with and lots of things are going on with the, with this stone. Yeah. One of the other things that comes to mind, I mean, 1 Corinthians 1 is another place where that stumbling block thing comes up. Yes. And I think there you see Paul really talk about how God is doing these two things that are really opposites, but for different people, that 
Um, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, mm. but to us who are being saved, is the, it is the power of God. And he goes mm. on to talk about Christ crucified as the stumbling block. But you have it there, that for some people, they look at Jesus on the cross and think, this is stupid. Like, you, you follow a guy who died this humiliating death? Like, mm. that's just madness. Yeah. Well, for we who actually understand what God's done that, that's that's everything. That's mm. our salvation. That's our righteousness. That's that's, it. that's God's wisdom. So, yes, it's the stumbling block to some, and it's the foundation, the cornerstone for others to build their lives on. That's it. That's it. So, yeah, it's a very rich metaphor and, and gets used quite a lot through scriptures. So, yeah. Nice one. All right. Um, Jack, a question for you, I think, from, from your sermon. Mm. Um uh, regarding verse two of chapter ten, and yeah. uh, and that talks about the the idea of zeal without knowledge, uh, and somebody's texted into you saying, "Look, um, are we to believe that taking God's word seriously is not how to get to heaven? Mm. If, if the act of the Jews, from your example of taking God's word seriously, doesn't get us to heaven, then what parts of the Bible should we take seriously, and how could we tell the difference?" Yeah, it's a great question, and I mean, when I was talking there, I was, I was saying that the Jewish people, they, they take God's word really seriously, and you still see that today. So you see Jewish people spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about the food laws, like have a really mm. kind of, you know, detailed kosher system. Like, I gave the example of the, the Jewish mezuzah, which is this little, um, they have a little box that holds a written out copy of uh, part of the law, and they attach it to their door frames on their mm. houses, mm. because Deuteronomy says, right attach it to your door frames. Yeah. So yeah, they, they take it really seriously in that sense. The problem is that their zeal is without knowledge. It's not that they don't kind of, you know, really love the Bible and want to follow it. It's just that they don't get what it's talking about. And that's what Paul goes on to say, that Christ is the one who's the culmination of the law. Verse 4, like the whole law is meant to point you to Jesus. So if you take the law really seriously as law, trying to obey it as if that's the way you're going to get right with God, then you've missed the whole point of the law. You've yep. missed the, the, the really crucial thing that brings the law all together. So mm. yes, they zealously pursue the law. They take it seriously but they miss what it's actually talking about. And so they utterly fall short of how the law is really yeah. meant to work. And, and so chapter 9, verse 32 is a helpful verse on that, isn't it? Where it says um, that the issue with Israel is that they pursued it, the law, um, not by faith, but as if it were by work. So mm-hmm. you can pursue the law in different ways. You, you, yeah. you can keep the law by faith, sure. Uh, if you keep it as if it is by works, as if this is the way God has set up for you to get right with him, then you, you sort of, you, you're missing the point. You're using... The, a right thing for the wrong end. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. We'll keep going. Uh, someone's asked, I mean, fairly simple question. Can you clarify what the law is mm. and possibly give an example or two? So Paul uses that word a bit here. What's he talking about? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, he's been using it right throughout Romans. Um, mm. and, and at one level, it's his shorthand for God's Old Testament commands. Um, yeah which are given to Israel. I mean, obviously, it, it begins at the, in Exodus 20 with, the, with the God's giving of the Ten Commandments, but actually um, is filled out into a, a broader sort of system of, of rules and regulations uh, governing all, all sorts of parts of Israel's corporate life in the land um, that come to be collectively known as the law. Mm. Um, uh, what's an example? Well, I find it really helpful. You, you know the story, Jack, where... Um, the rich young ruler comes and uh, approaches Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not steal, and starts kind of uh, mentioning some of these these, parts of the law. And and, uh, he says, oh, well, I've kept them all. And uh, and Jesus says, oh, one thing you lack. Uh, Mm. And uh, so I, I think... It, there's there's a couple of examples. Some of the commandments: don't steal, don't murder, um, all of which are part of this system called the law. Yeah, nice, yeah. well yeah. said. Okay. 
now, here, following on from that, um, the law was never uh, meant meant to save Israelites. I take that, that they're sort of picking up on what, what I was saying on Sunday, um, but rather to point out sin. And yet, Christ obtains righteousness from the law, question mark, i.e., it was a function of the law to obtain righteousness. Um, why did Christ need to fulfill the law in this way if it was never intended to make people righteous? Yeah, I mean, for you listeners, just so you know, Sam and I were looking at this question a bit before we got on, trying to work out um, what's going on here and what to say about it. And I think, I'm not sure we quite see eye to eye on this. That's okay. You can hear us kind of wrestle this through live as we try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so this person we, we think is picking up on uh, uh, verse 5 of chapter 10 that, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Mm. And it's that quote from uh, Leviticus 18, verse 5. Um, what is that getting at? Uh, Paul says, you know, if you do these commandments, you will live. Um, and I think, the, I think the way that Paul's using that here is contrasting that to the righteousness that is by faith, which is really achievable and accessible. Like, that's where he gets the, you know, it's not up in heaven, you have to go mm. get someone down. Like, the righteousness by faith is accessible. And I think the contrast means that the righteousness that is by the law is not. The person who does these things will live by them, but the whole argument in Romans so far is that no one does live by them, mm. except except for one person, which mm. is what this question asker has pointed out, right? That Christ does do the commandments. So so I think part of what is... In, I don't think this is Paul's main point, but I think it's true that Christ does fulfill the law. He's the one mm. who actively obeyed everything that God did. He never falls short of the commandments. He never sins. And so I think Jesus does achieve the righteousness that is by works, in a sense, like he did the commands and he lives. And that's quite important because he is the one who is righteous and it's his righteousness which is imputed to us. That's what justification by faith is. Um, I, I don't know if that answers exactly the question this person is asking about, but mm. that's the thing that I think is important to say. Like, I think that, yes, Jesus, in a sense, achieves the righteousness that is by the law. I mean, the, the, the question then is, is that... Is that what the law was ever about? Like, was mm. it ever the case that God was telling Israel, you need to do all these things because that is how you will get righteous? Mm. Like, I don't think that is the point of the law. And that's kind of what Paul's getting at. Like, mm. he's saying that if you, you Jews who, who pursue the law as if it were by works, like, as if, as if that was what you were meant to do, they're the ones who stumbled over it. So mm. it's kind of like Jesus ticks the box that God hadn't necessarily told them that they were actually meant to pursue trying to tick because they couldn't do it like i don't know if that quite puts it together right or not but yeah yeah help me out yeah yeah look no i think i think you're onto something um because <laughs> i think the issue the, the bigger issue in this whole passage is that paul is rebuking the jews and saying you're approaching the law in a way that it was never meant to be approached i mm. think i think that we can agree that that's um then the, the question comes well then why did jesus need to keep it if it never ne- needed to be kept I, I don't think well and my view is i don't think jesus kept it as if it was like some way that like achieved Jesus a relationship with God and mm. Jesus got himself into God's good books by keeping the law. I think as I read Leviticus 18.5 and actually you, you read the way the law functions in the Old Testament is that it is the way for you to go and have long life in the land. It's the mm. way to go and enjoy relationship with God and and uh, be kind of flourish if you like in the relationship with, with God that you have all by grace because of his, his kindness um, to them and so yeah. I take it that similarly Jesus has a relationship with God and, and mm. he lives out the law perfectly and, and, and he's the one who can have a flourishing life with God if you like by yeah. obeying the law and and as he does that he, he actually graciously gifts that life to people like you and I who who have rejected God and broken the law and fallen short of the glory of God um, and so I think that's just a slightly different emphasis yeah. on it, perhaps um, yeah yeah 
rather as if because I think I, I want to just guard against the idea that Jesus somehow had to earn his relationship with God by obedience to the law if that makes sense yeah I don't think that's quite what I'm saying like I don't think he earned the relationship but I think what he is, I mean there's nothing earned in it because Jesus is righteous by nature but it, it, there's something mm. demonstrated right like he, yeah. he, he proves his righteousness because yeah. he, he comes and does what Adam failed to do you know yes. he resists temptation he comes and but it's not just like a passive thing like he didn't sin like it's an active thing like he totally. He did everything the law requires. Yes. I think that's really important. Yeah, Because it's, it's that requirement, which is... I mean, that's Romans 8, verse 4, isn't it? Like mm. The righteous requirement of the law... Yes. Um, is met is in fully Christ. met in us. Yep. Because it was met by Jesus, I mm. think. Like, mm. because God sent his son as a sin offering, yep. um, that's how the righteous requirement of the law is met in us. So he mm. did actively fulfill it all. Yes. But I get what you're saying as well. Like, I don't think that the law was meant to be this thing that they were meant to pursue, as if they were kind of trying to earn the relationship. I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that so there's a there's yeah. a degree of nuance in all this. And I think what mm-hmm. I was speaking to on Sunday was I think what I perceive as a um, a, a view that I hear around that that. I think almost implies that Jesus somehow earned a relationship with God yeah. and now gives it away to you and me yeah. because we can't earn it, but Jesus did earn it and now he gives it. I don't think Jesus ever earned his relationship with God. I think he expressed it and mm. um, demonstrated it through his perfect keeping of the law and then he gives get that, his righteousness to us. Does, is it Agreed, a slight, yeah. slight distinction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. I'm on board. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, maybe we don't disagree as much. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, <laughs> I do I. Beautiful. That's good. Cool. All right. All right. Whose turn is it to ask? That's up to me. Okay, uh, go for it. Next question, coming on down the passage to chapter 10, verses 6 to 8. Uh, how can Paul quote Moses when mm. Moses was talking about the law? So this is the bit I mentioned before, you know, Deuteronomy 30. Who will go up to heaven to yes. bring, in the original context, that talks about the law down mm. from heaven. So this person's asking, how can Paul apply that same logic? You know, those words were originally about the law, but he's talking about the righteousness by faith. Like, does yeah. Paul just rip these verses out of their context uh, and make them say Add some he brackets wants. and add, add Jesus into them in the brackets, yeah, right? Is that, is that right. what he's doing? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 obviously not. Um, I think Paul knows the law probably better, better than most of us. Better um, than me, definitely. <laughs> and so, <Really? laughs> um, but there is a sense in which that he and the other apostles show us how, how, to, how to read the law as it, as it was intended. And one of the things that Jesus does after his resurrection is actually spend some time with his disciples and open up their eyes to see in the law what was always there and, and what the law had to say concerning himself. You can go and have a look at, if you go look at Luke 24 verses 45 to, I don't know, 50 odd, um, you, you'll see this idea and it's it's that what the law says concerning himself. Um, and so I think Paul is showing us here that actually, even as we read about the law, what what it was actually ultimately talking about was, was Jesus. And I think he gives us an example of, of that here. Mm. You want to add something to that? Um, not particularly. I think that's, I think that's it, yeah. Mm. I think that, well, I mean, only to say that, like, that's also there in the context here. Like, like I said before, verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law. Christ yeah. is the end goal of the law. Yeah. Paul, Paul has just told us that. So I think it makes perfect sense that he would say, yeah, Moses was talking about, you know, the law is accessible. And Paul's saying, yeah, the law is all about Christ. So therefore, mm. I think he kind of, it's like he takes Deuteronomy 30 and just pushes it along the very trajectory he has just been describing about the law. Yes, that it was always... applies it to Jesus. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, great. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, a really simple one here. Um, verse uh, 8 talks about how... Oh, sorry, um, verse 9 talks about how you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll mm. be saved. Questions come in. What does it mean to believe with your heart? Yeah, great question. Um, that... You know, heart is the, the kind of biblical picture for the the whole person. It's like the core of our being, that, that really kind of, you know, uh, 
really summarizes and, and the central kind of part of who we are. So it's mm. like a real kind of deep internal faith and trust in God. Um, I think yep. in context, it's in contrast to the spoken word. So Paul riffs on the Deuteronomy thing here. Deuteronomy said the word is near you. It's in your mouth and mm. it's in your heart. Yep. So it's spoken and it's kind of internal. So yep. you declare it with your mouth, you speak it out loud and you believe it in your heart. It's, yes. you know, it's not just this external yes. thing that you know you speak it's 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 deep within you like it you know it resonates with your, your yep. deepest desires and who you are deep inside i think that's that's what right. it means by believe with your heart okay yeah um another question about this 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 kind of section someone's asked is there a difference between believing and declaring mm. so verse 11 says everyone who believes will be saved what is what is the additional action of declaring for mm. yeah um like I think they are talking about two separate but quite connected, deeply connected things. Mm. Um, so obviously, I mean, you've helpfully just defined believing in your heart for us. Declaring with your lips means sort of speaking it, un- unashamedly saying Jesus yeah. is is Lord. Um, and so, and I think those things are connected because if you have one without the other, if you just confess Jesus is Lord but you actually don't believe it, well then that's just... Um, uh, kind of hypocrisy yeah. uh, at one level. Whereas um, if you believe it and yet won't declare it publicly, there's a sort of, um, you know, Jesus condemns, you know, if you're ashamed of me before, um, you know, others, you, then, you know, you, uh, do you really believe it all? So yeah. I, I think these things kind of go together, but I think they speak to both the public and the internal mm. nature of the Christian faith and, and really capturing up the whole whole thing that it's not one or the other, yeah. it's both end. Nice, yeah. So yeah. I think you can distinguish them, but yeah, they always go together. Yeah. I, quite, I find quite helpful... Um, you know, Jesus says, like, the, the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. Like, mm. in Mark 7, he's talking about, you know, there's for sinful people, there's evil in our hearts, so the things we say reflect that. Totally. And I think the opposite's kind of true as well. It's, you know, if your heart just has this genuine believing, trusting faith in, in Jesus, then that cannot but help to flow mm. out in what you say. So, totally. Yeah, I think it comes out like That's that. That's great. That's really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, back well, on to me. Um, I, I think it's me. Okay, um, good. Yep. If you just need to uh, declare and believe, which is the two things we've just been talking about, yeah. where does repentance fit in? Don't you need to repent as well as to be saved? Yes, great question. Mm. Um, this came in a few different ways on Sunday, and I think I tackled a version of it at Morning Church as well. Um, I think thinking about what, what is repentance, so to repent you know, is to, to turn around, to turn away from sin, to turn to Christ as the Saviour. Um, in part, it, it's similar to what we said before. I think faith and repentance are these two things that we can distinguish but can never separate for mm. the kind of reasons you just said, Sam. Like, if, if, if you genuinely trust that Jesus is the Lord, mm. then you cannot but begin to live your life in, in, in His way and, and to repent and to, you know, the, the declaration that you make. You know, if you declare Jesus is Lord and you really mean that, then you're saying that, Jesus is the king, and I'm not, and I want to live his way. And he knows the way it's best for me, so I'm going to start seeking to live his way. So mm. faith is not the same as repentance. Like, they're two, they're two dis- things we can distinguish. But you, you can't have one without the other, I think. Like, you cannot mm. have Jesus as your saviour if you will not have him as your Lord. Sure. Faith is trusting him to save you, mm. and that saving faith will necessarily lead to you turning yep. away from sin and changing your life to, mm. to, to live like that. So I don't, like, the word repent isn't there in this chapter. Like, I mm. think that... Like, the declaring that Jesus is Lord, I think, is, like, quite quite close to the idea of repentance. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. you're declaring the Lordship of Christ, and then repentance is nothing else except starting to live that out. Yeah. So I think that you see the two things kind of relating there. Yeah. In terms of how they relate, I, I find verse 10 quite helpful on that. And, again, I'm not sure, Sam, that we exactly see how to on this. But my take on it is, um, verse 10, it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. 
and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Mm. And I think the order there is important because he flips it around. Like the verses that come before, he says, if you declare and believe, you'll be saved, which reflects like the Deuteronomy order because yes. the words in your mouth and in your heart. But then verse 10, he flips it around. I think to like really nail the order and clarify it, it's with your heart you believe and are justified. You trust Jesus. You are justified. You're granted the righteousness of Christ. And then it's with your mouth that you profess your faith. Because, I mean, professing with your mouth, like, it is doing something. Like, in a sense, it is a work. Like, and if it's, if it's that you have to declare your mouth, and that is the basis on which you're justified, like, I think that ends up being justification by faith, sorry, justification by works, hmm. with just a different set of works. But I think it's that, no, it's, it's your faith that justifies, and then your mouth, because you believe that faith flows out and speaks, and that's the subsequent thing. That's the thing that kind of shows that you do have that kind of faith, and it means you will be saved, but it's not the, the declaring that's the, um, the thing that by which we are justified. So I think that's where repentance fits in. Faith justifies and repentance flows out of faith. It's not that we're justified by repentance. That's part of mm. how I put it together. Mm. Helpful. Yeah. Yep. We'll keep going. Uh, how does tonight's sermon reconcile with what is said in James 2, verse 26? Faith without works is dead. Well, I take it that's um, to me because I preached the night one. So... Um, Look, you did. Uh, I think it, it, it's, and it really just flows off what we've just been talking about here, doesn't it? Um, mm. I actually think it fits in beautifully. Um, James's point is that saving faith is never alone. Um, yeah. Real faith uh, is accompanied by repentance and a declaration of the lordship of Jesus and a desire to let Jesus rule over every part of our life um, and changes. Mm. Um, and, and I take it that that's the kind of idea here that... Um, now it's not again. It's not though. It's not the changed life that saves you. It's just that the changed life to, um, accompanies necessarily the the saving faith that does. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. I mean, we. Um, if you want to go back, I, I think from memory, I did a, a compare and contrast between James two and Romans four. Yeah. Way back when we preached Romans one to four in uh, twenty nineteen. Back so, to the archives. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you go to um, our website slash um, Romans, I think you'll be able to dig out that talk. And, yeah, right. And if you want to get into that a bit further, but I th- actually I think they they fit perfectly. So the short answer is how do they fit together? Wonderfully. Nice. Uh, <laughs> long answer. Go and have a check on uh, the the sermon from 2019. Good. You got options there. There you go. Uh, all right. Now uh, one for you, Jack from yep. Morning Church. Um, is it possible in the extras, perhaps? Um, here we are. It uh, is possible. To, yes. to talk briefly about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, mm. I feel that all hopes of salvation being attained by our works are crushed when we understand what God's standards are for his kingdom as Jesus teaches it in the Sermon on the Mount. We have no choice but to rely on his righteousness. Uh, this would be helpful for a question uh, on where repentance fits in, which we've just answered. Uh, as well, I think uh, there is a standard of living laid out for Jesus uh, by Jesus for his kingdom. Yes, I think this is one of those things where the question asker, I think, has basically nailed it in the question. Like, uh. Right there at the end. I think I think both the things that person is describing are true. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, to Jesus, uh, part of what he's doing is showing you, yes, like, obeying God's commands is actually way harder than even the Jewish people of his day thought. So, you know, Matthew five twenty seven. yeah, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And the Jewish people said, yeah, I've heard that the Lord said that. I believe that, you know, believing... The law and doing it means that I just need to stay faithful in my marriage, and I've done that. Hooray. Mm. Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on to show you, actually, the the righteousness that God requires is not this 
just external obedience to the law. It's this thing that goes deep into your hearts and your your desires, and it's just uh, like yeah, you read the Sermon on the Mount and think, wow, like the bar that God has mm. is this, you know, in in a sense, it's this ludicrously high thing. Like Jesus says, you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yes, mm. like mm. we hear that and think that is, you know, I I fall short of that <laughs> and. Jesus says yes, and that's why I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Yeah. But the Sermon on the Mount, I think, also comes to us not just to say, you can't do this, you need Jesus. I think mm. it also comes to say, this is what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. And mm. those who come to follow Jesus as his disciples, this is the, the standard of uh, kingdom, you know, upright, righteous, Jesus-following conduct that he sets forth for us. For mm. us. So, we, so we look at the Sermon on the Mount and think, yes, I, I will never you know, hit all of that. That's impossible. But we also hear him say... You know, there's lots of things in the sermon. He, he mm. says, you know, when you pray, pray like this. Like, that's something that we, we hear and think, yes, I'm going to learn from Jesus how to pray to yeah. Father as my, my Father in heaven and, and that kind of thing. So, holds up a high bar, but Jesus came to do it for us. So, mm. yeah, we're driven to him. But as his followers, we're also called to, to live this kind of kingdom life to the, to the degree that Jesus, by his spirit, enables us to do it. Mm. I think it's worth saying that as well, in Matthew and Romans, the word righteous, there, there's lots of crossover, but there's also a slight distinction, I think, at mm, points that yes. Matthew, when he speaks about righteousness, I think he's talking about righteous behavior, righteous yeah. living, whereas often, um, uh, not exclusively, but also I think Paul on the whole in Romans, is talking, when he's talking about righteousness, he's talking about kind of the legal state, that uh, the declaration of being just and right before God. Yeah. Uh, now there's huge connection between those two, but there's also a, a different emphasis um, in the two books. I think that's worth just noting um, that often the, the, the words have a, a range of meaning and I think yeah. Matthew and Paul use them a little bit um, differently. I think it's just worth noting. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, thank you. All right, next one. Sam, since we today are Gentiles and not Jews, I, I take it most of us. If you're a well, Jewish I think I've got some Jewish. Us, I think I've got some Jewish heritage. I, certainly, I have a Jewish nose. Um, my, it's, it's enormous. And uh, you, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. But we think we think there's a bit of Jewish rustle back yeah, there. Yeah, there you so go. There, anyway. Well, well, mm. I'm a Gentile, not you, Sam. But you know, many of us listening are Gentiles and not Jews. Yeah. What do you think is the stumbling block for this century? Uh, or do you think we're facing the same stumbling block? This person asks. Uh, great. Thanks for the question. Um, look, I, I think it's the same because I think the stumbling block is Jesus mm. and the message that uh, you you can bring nothing to your salvation and so you need Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a stumbling block because we are at our core, Jew or Gentile, very proud people. And mm. we always want to um, contribute something. And the idea of being told, hey, you need to throw yourself upon the mercy of another yeah. is something that actually I think insults our pride and we can sometimes stumble over. So I don't think it is that there's a particular Jewish or Gentile stumbling block. I think Jesus and the offer of uh, almost the the offer of mercy and, and actually the, the, the demand from God that you can't mm. you can't meet. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that's the stumbling block sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I um when I was getting ready to preach this, a dear brother from Morning Church sent me a sermon by John Stott mm. on the passage who, that we preached on Sunday. So John Stott, one of the evangelical great ones of, mm. of the last 50-odd years or so. And in 1977, John Stott preached this sermon on Romans 9 and 10. And, and, and the line that stuck out to me is he said, um, more people will be kept out of the kingdom of heaven by pride than by any other sin. Hmm. And that really struck a chord with me. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that's going on here. The stumbling block. Mm. It, it's universal that yeah. in every that was that was the 20th century's biggest mm. stumbling block but the 21st yeah. century is not going to be any different yeah yeah nice okay uh, one more here in terms of our worldview um do, do atheists or agnostic people have zeal without knowledge are there 
Yeah, absolutely. They can, yeah. Um, in my talk, I focused on people of other faiths, mm. uh, but this is just as true as well. I, I take it that you can, I mean, particularly on the agnostic front, you can be a pretty apathetic ag- mm. agnostic. Um, yep. Agnosticism, in a sense, is, um, is, an, is an apathy towards these questions at all. But there are plenty of people who pursue the cause of atheism with a, a militaristic zeal. Mm. You can be a, a passionate, you know, anti-Christian um, crusader against God. I mean, they probably hate the word crusader, but um, anyway, like, yeah, absolutely. You can be yeah. passionately committed to the cause of yeah. secular humanism. Uh, you can be totally zealous about, you know, proving that all the claims against God are wrong. Mm. Uh, and I would say, if that's you, then you do that without knowledge because mm. you have suppressed the knowledge of the truth, which is what Romans 1 says. Um, suppress the knowledge that God has made his power and divinity known so that all people would know it. But yes, you can, you can zealously refuse to to accept that knowledge absolutely mm. yeah and many people do yeah nice yeah. okay i think we're up to the the last one aren't we yeah i think so um, yeah. all right so final question i guess starting to think about how we how we live this out someone mm. has asked a really good question to wrap us up really what does it look like to keep calling on the name of the lord mm. um like you, i think you and i both made this point on sunday which mm. is that um Salvation begins with with calling on the name of the Lord, but actually doesn't finish there. It, it continues there. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you ever graduate from calling on the name of the Lord. Mm. That is that you keep going back to Jesus for in faith um, for salvation and forgiveness. Um, you keep confessing His lordship. You, you keep repenting of your sin, as we've been talking about. You, you keep. Um, yeah, seeking to bring your life under the Lordship of Christ. And I think that is a lifelong activity uh, that the Christian uh, person is committed to. And I don't think you kind of begin with faith and then move on mm. uh, or begin with um, repentance and then move on. I think you, day by day, you, you recognize um, I'm only saved because of Jesus. Uh, I need him. Um, he is my my righteousness and my freedom uh, mm. and I I need him um, and uh, I keep calling upon his name um, for for everything for, for mercy and salvation in particular yeah and I think as you keep reading the Bible and you know keep hearing God's word taught day by day and week by week you are constantly confronted with the holiness of our righteous God and the longer you go on in the Christian life I mean certainly for me that it's not like you kind of get to the point where you feel like, oh, like, I'm really nailing this now. Mm. Like, I've just finally got to the point where if I, you know, if I had to stand on my works, I think I'd be ready to go. Like, <laughs> that's certainly not where I am, and that's not where yeah. we get to. I mean, yeah, just right. the deeper we know God, the more we realize just how mm. utterly far we fall short of mm. His perfect standard. Yeah. And that just drives us again and again to our knees to say, Father, forgive me. Mm. Jesus, save me. Holy mm. Spirit, change me. Like, that's, that's how you keep calling on the name of the Lord. And the longer you go on... I think the more you know that you need to do that and that again is just part of how the spirit continues to grow us to help us rely more and more on christ and mm. less and less on ourselves amen amen well mate that'll do us for today in terms of questions yeah sam can you tell us a bit about this coming sunday so you're preaching on the next chunk of romans what have we got to look forward to yeah look we're, we're, i mean we're pushing on you know, at the end of 10 start of 11 and uh Paul keeps asking this question, well, why haven't more Jews um, turned to Christ? It's mm. funny in that he spends so much time dealing with this question that for many of us just isn't our issue. Yeah. Um, we have lots of other issues like, what, you know, what about people of other religions? What mm. about um, those who've never heard? Um, Paul doesn't 
doesn't really want to deal with those questions. He, he's got this question about Israel. But what I'm going to suggest is that it, the more we get behind his understanding of the, the, the Israel problem, if you like, that so few of the Israelites have, have turned to Christ in faith, actually the better we understand the God who patiently holds out mercy to stubborn people. Mm. Um, and so... Uh, that, that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, there's uh, three missteps that Paul kind of lays out uh, that, that you shouldn't think about why, why the Israelites haven't come in. And then there's a, a real reason, which is actually all to do with the sovereign mercy of God. So that's that's where we're going Mate, to go. Looking forward to it. Yeah, these are mm. big chapters with big truths. And yeah, it's good for our minds and good for our hearts. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in today and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right, see you then.